Welcome to the D-Shift Podcast, where we provide inspiration, motivation, and education to help you transition from the challenges of divorce to discover the freedom and ability to live life on your own terms. Are you ready? Let's get this shift started. Hello, and welcome for, to another episode of The D-Shift, and thank you for taking time out of your busy day to listen. Today, I promise you will be happy you're here or listening in whenever you choose to. I have uh, a special guest today, Rick Salmeron. Uh, he is the president of Salmeron Financial, and he is a certified financial planner with over 30 years of experience. I think if I remember that right from the information you sent me. that be. So I am going to, um, and Rick has a really valuable, a lot of valuable information to help women or men who are going through divorce at different ages and stages of their lives and how to um, be smart with your money, your planning, your financial um, strategies as you're moving forward. So Rick, everybody is here waiting to listen to you and and find out your knowledge and, and get all those little tidbits of information. So what what got you into this area of expertise and uh, focus in your career? Thank you for asking, Marty, and thank you for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to be speaking with you today. You are most welcome. I started in this business, believe it or not, at age eight. I was born and raised in Oklahoma City, and I remember when I was that youthful age on a Saturday morning enjoying breakfast in the kitchen, as I normally would on any beautiful Saturday. And my mom approached me and placed her right hand on my shoulder. And she said, Rick, today we're going to do something very special. We are going to take you to a place called a savings and loan. And we are going to open up a savings account for you. And I looked at her, paused, and I said, mom, what does that mean? She said, well, see, son, you allow them to keep your money there, they will actually pay you money for keeping your money. That still didn't quite hit me. However, what was good for my mom was good for me at that age. So I dropped my spoon in my lucky charms. We went to the garage, got into the car, drove off to the savings and loan, where I began to empty my pockets of change on the counter, $10. The coins just spilling there. And then my mother matched that $10 with her own 10. So there was born my first ever savings account. It wasn't until 90 days later, I received my first statement in the mail. And that $20 grew to $20.15. And that's was a light bulb moment that I still remember to this day that I'll never forget. I realized and recognized how money can work for you on its own. Really? You mean I don't don't need to show up every week to the savings and loan and it will just continue to grow? And the answer was yes. And that proved to be the case statement after statement. So I like to say I started in this business at that young tender age uh, 30 plus years ago, I wanted to become an entrepreneur. How? What could I do searching out different career paths? I was tired of corporate America at that time. And then it occurred to me, just take a look at my pattern of behavior ever since that weekend in Oklahoma City. I maxed out on my company 401k. I bought my first house at age 22, my first stock at age 18. And I'm not saying these things to brag. This is just what was 
in my DNA. So it, right. I thought, wow, I could do a business like this. It's natural. Other people may not be, uh, let's call them the secrets to growing and building wealth. And I can provide that guidance and advice and make a great business out of it. And here we are today. Yeah. And in honestly, like for me, so my dad sat me down and explained compound interest uh, and I wasn't eight, but I, I can remember the concept. And he did that thing where, you know, you put a penny on the checkerboard and then every day you double the amount. And, and it was just amazing. And we only got like five, you know, I, I forget what it is when you fill up the whole checkerboard, but it's millions of dollars if you, if you are able to continue yeah, to do that. Lot. And obviously that's an expanded version of compound interest, but it, it is amazing what money can do, but so many people are, terrified of investing because you hear these horror stories of, you know, people that are scammed or Ponzi schemes or people that are just wiped out. So I guess I'm going to ask you, how do you evaluate what's a, what's a good investment or what are kind of the guidelines you use? Well, if you're starting on your own and you're doing it yourself, a lot of it is very much word of mouth, your own personal research. What have your what have your individual experiences been already up to date? What has worked and what hasn't worked? What what type of values or, or ideas or options did your parents teach you, if anything at all, your close friends or other family members? So it becomes, it becomes your own personal network, if you will, of information assembling right. to, to see what fits well with me and what does not. Because something that can work very well for, say, person A does not do well for person B because everyone's starting from their own unique point A, right? Right, right. So that I guess that's I guess that's really insightful, and that's something because I think so many times um, we get told, "Oh, well, this is what you need to do. Like, you need to invest in." Obviously, four hundred one k makes sense, but you know you need to have this diversified portfolio, and this is where you're. You know, this is how you need to diversify it, and this is. But you're saying that's not necessarily the case for everybody. There are some general rules of thumb that I think can apply to a lot of people. However, there is nothing at all that applies to everybody. Like uh, a four hundred one k, should you do it? Generally speaking, I believe it's a good idea. However, it may not work for a person in a different situation. And I could possibly recite two or three examples of that, but it's always always wise, especially when you're talking about your money. Now, there, there are minor decisions. However, when things cross the line into major types of decisions, you want to make sure that you're, you're clear on what your options are, what your advantages and disadvantages are in front of you before you take action. It's very, very important because many times actions are taken and they are irrevocable. You can't go back or it's really costly to go back. So you want to be very careful. Make sure you've got sage people by your side, whether they be a friend or a family member or a professional, giving you as best guidance as possible for your own unique circumstances. Yeah. So let's talk about um, something that I know that you have a lot of expertise in. And and one thing you support your clients with is how to make budgeting easier, because I think a lot of people don't invest because they don't think they have money to invest. And what how can you budget easier? How can you find that money, even if you don't have like a, a huge income coming in? I would submit that everyone has some space somewhere to save and invest. They're just not able to find it or they're currently saving or investing, yet they believe I 
I'm not able to do anymore. And again, I would argue there's a possibility that you can find some additional wiggle room. And in my view, the way to do that is to begin by looking at what you're doing right now. Are you tracking your income coming in and your money going out? Whatever system that you have, is there a mechanism in place? Are you, it's the technology is there. And many listeners now are saying, yeah, I've got something. Well, that's good. That's great. If you don't have something like that, put it in place. We can download transactions in a snap of a finger. We can see as plain as view how much money we're making per day or per week or per month and certainly per year and the same how much is going out. So when we identify where we're starting, we've got a very good idea of where we're working with. And even if you already have a system in place and you're still struggling, is there a possible way that you can level up your system? For And it's, it really comes down to, this is big for anyone, it really comes down to habits. What habits are you incorporating in your money life? Very little to do, folks. Not Very little to do with investment selection. That's truly not the key to financial independence or financial security or success. It's so much to do with habits. So as an example, I know myself, I track my money every single day. I know exactly what went in yesterday, what went out yesterday. So I I know it's like an x-ray on my body. It's an x-ray on my pocketbook every single day. So I know what I'm working with. So kind of a, a long answer to your short question is having mechanism in place to Create your own personal x-ray machine or personal radar to see where you are and what's going on with your money ship at the moment. That's really the best place to begin. Yeah. And and you know what? Thank you for saying that you do that, because I think a lot of people think, oh, yeah, people just say do this, but they don't actually walk the walk. But you really do. So you you practice this, this habit building and, and staying on track. Um, yeah. Do you find that sometimes when people are faced with actually having to look at their money habits, it's an uncomfortable realization? Yes, it sure is. And we can take that as humans as a negative and resist doing that. However, I would say take it as a positive sign for great potential growth for you. Because yeah. if we, uh, if we, for example, our health, many of us are afraid to take a quick look at our health for fear of what we might find out. Yet, if we don't do that, we don't identify the the cancers or the the things going wrong, which are going to, which are currently steering us in the wrong direction. We want to stop that as soon as possible, and we want to do the same thing with our money too. Right. So, identifying. What you're doing can be very uncomfortable, yet that's the seed for a better life. Yeah, yeah. Is going through that discomfort, because on the other side of that discomfort is a new world of betterment. So I really encourage people, if they're feeling that resistance or, oh, I'm afraid to do that, take that as a great, great sign. And that's one step in the right direction to get your money even more stronger and more powerful than it is today. Make it better tomorrow. 
Yeah. And, and so I, I found even little things that I had done because I actually went through a program where I did this a few years ago. And one of the things I found was all the little things that I was paying, like monthly app fees and streaming fees and you know, yeah. different programs that I had forgot that I'd invested in and was no longer using them. And when I cleared all that stuff out, I was, I found like about $300 a month that I had that I was spending on stuff that I either no longer used or wasn't necessary anymore. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, but it wasn't comfortable doing it. And then I started kicking myself, like, why have I been paying this $9 a month for the last, you know, four years? Think of all the money I could have had if I hadn't done that. So, yeah. It's a, it's a self-embarrassing exercise many times. I get it. I'm I'm, I'm one who experiences that, too, myself in other areas of my life. Yet I know that I, I don't. I, I frankly want to incur that so I know that I'm going to get better so I can stop the bad behavior, stop the bad habit, and instead replace it with a good or a better habit. Yeah, That's how I, I get better. I really, I really like that. So so let's talk a little bit about um, specifically money that you might come into or money that you get paid in a lump sum or you're getting it in a monthly um, allotment after a divorce, whether it's support, if it's child support, it should be going for the kids. But that doesn't mean that you can't invest the extra, you know, if you do have some extra child support money, it could go into a college fund for kids. You you know, there can be lots of great strategies. How can people get more control over their money and maybe start building up some, if they don't have a retirement plan, how can they start building one or how can they add to their current retirement plan? As, as a left-brainer, I see things very structurally, okay? So I, I would, if it were me, I would be focusing on different levels of my personal wealth. The first one is what kind of accessible cash or savings or emergency fund do I have in place right now? Once again, general rule of thumb doesn't necessarily apply to everybody. However, it's good idea to have at least between three to six months worth of whatever your monthly expenses are in the bank, in the savings account, accessible to you that you can get to through your checking account or ATM or or Venmo or whatever the case may be. That is your moat around your hassle. So that if money needs a rise that you're not aware of, you've got the liquid cash ready to go. You don't need to dip into other things. You don't need to increase and raise higher debt amounts on your credit cards. That's not that's not the activity that we want to see. So we want to have a strong moat of emergency funds that covers that expense range. And everyone's got a different number on that, but the general rule of thumb is three to six months. The next level would be, in my view, Retirement for myself, I, you know, I'm age 45 or 40 or 30 or whatever the age is, and I've got a, I've got a long-term goal, and it's, it's generally speaking, many people have a retirement goal. I want to stop working or at least slow down. So for that, we have a, a pot of gold waiting. That's that's consists of your long-term investments, and that could be many, many different things for for everyone, but. That's not the emergency fund. It's something that we're putting aside money regularly or the lump sum comes and now we put that or some of that lump sum in the pot of gold and let it bake in the oven, let it do its thing. So that in 10, 20, 30 years from now, it is so strong 
that we can have the freedom to quit working. It's now going to be the source of our paycheck because we don't need to worry about our employer's paycheck anymore or, or whatever source of revenue that we have. So the makeup of a pot of gold is going to look very different than the emergency fund because there may be more risk found in the pot of gold that's long-term. And the emergency fund holds very little, if any, because we need that many stable in there at all times to, to protect our castle, right? So there's those two arenas, and then there could be something in the middle, like you mentioned college for kids, depending on how young or old your kids are, that many people have financial goals that are ready, that, that will come before our retirement comes much sooner than 20 or 30 years from now, but much longer than something that we may need money for in two or three or four or five or six months. So there's some like, mid-range. So there's really, in essence, three levels that everyone has or may need to cover. And with whatever money that you have now or are receiving or standing, how do you best conservatively, strategically position your money in those areas so that it's just right. It's just the Goldilocks fit that is just right for your your situation. Yeah. And so when people come to you and say, hey, Rick, we'd like some help with setting up these levels, these tiers, you know, the moat and the pot of gold. Um yeah. What information do they need to bring to you or what should they what should they have thought about before they t- contact a financial advisor? Every financial advisor has their way of doing things. In my way of doing things is when I first initially speak with a client that I had never had before, I will send them two things. One will be a checklist of items. It's a very long laundry list of a soup to nuts just about everything reasonable that one would think of to be on, do I have these things or not, from estate planning documents to a copy of a tax return to account statements to a general idea of balance and so on. So so I, I ask for that information to bring to the first discussion table whenever we meet. And then the second thing that I send to them is an online survey an online questionnaire that gives me an idea of any existing working relationships that the person has, because a financial advisor needs to not only work with, in my opinion, the client, they he or she should also be working with the other professionals that that person currently has a relationship with, like, uh, say, an attorney or in a CPA or some those other types of professions that an advisor does not fit those shoes, but others do in the money realm of the household, right? So the, the questionnaire has that. I want to know how, are, are there any negative experiences that you've had in the past? I also like to ask if I could wave a magic wand and something amazing, miraculous would occur in your life, what, that, what would that be? I'd like to know how you feel about certain things, what type of in general risk tolerance would you get? So very subjective types of questions on the questionnaire because financial guidance, financial advice is a mix, Marty, of art and science. Yes, it's important to know the numbers, that's imperative. Yet at the same time, there's such a strong emotional 
component to it. There's family, there's feelings, there's desires, there's drives. And that is, frankly, almost more important than the numbers themselves. But they're both equally very, very vital. So it sounds like this is really... Uh, really a long-term um, working relationship then when, you, when you're working with a financial advisor. It's not just like a one-time consult, go in there, bam, 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 this is what I do. And you walk out the door like you do if you get a loan from your bank or something, then you're on your own. 100%. But you really, it sounds like you really work with people over a long-term period to, to keep 100%. tailoring things. 100%. I don't have this memorized. However, I'd say my average longevity of my clients is easily 15 plus years. So you're you're looking for at least you should look for a relationship, uh, a long term relationship with an advisor and not a transactional relationship with an advisor. Are there transactional relationships that are necessary? Yes. Like, say, the mortgage officer or perhaps real estate agent, although I'm not going to speak for all of them. But in terms of financial advisor, money is supposed to last for the rest of your life. Right. And if you want guidance, you should ask for guidance for the rest of your life. That makes sense. That does not call for a transactional relationship. That calls for a long-term guidance in your best interest relationship, for right. sure. So let me let me ask you then another quick question. We're just about out of time, but this is this is really interesting. I think this is one that um, maybe people who haven't approached a financial advisor before haven't even maybe considered that they needed one. What's the best? What's what is one thing that you would say if you're evaluating a financial advisor or certified um, financial planner? What should you be looking for? What's kind of the one big thing that you need to make sure you have in that? professional? I would say chemistry. Are you clicking with that person? Are they speaking your language? Are they speaking in a way that you can digest and understand? I wouldn't expect people to understand what beta is and QE3 and all those kind of technical terms that us left-brainers need to do our jobs. However, I don't expect, nor do I necessarily want my clients to know about that stuff. That's perfectly fine. So chemistry in my view, is one of the key elements. And how do you know someone's got the chemistry that you can click with? There's different ways to do that. How, yet I would point to, say, social media. There's a, and I'll, I'll toot my own horn. I've got the social media channels up. You can see me on video. You can see me on my posts. You can see how I, I look and act and interact and talk and, and write and so on. And is my style right for you? And if it is, then great. And if not, that's fine too. There's going to be an advisor out there that you can mesh with that you feel good and that you feel comfortable with and that they, you can feel and sense that they have your best interests in mind. Yeah, that, that sounds absolutely wonderful. And that's another thing that I think, you know, listening to people on podcasts too. I mean, you've, you've been yes. gracious to come on this one. I know you've been on a bunch of other ones because I've listened into a few of them. So, um, you know, the more that you can research the professional that you that you think you want to hire and then have that initial consultation and see how things go. That seems to be what, you know, uh, it takes a little bit of time to do that. But the results are phenomenal because your clients stay with you for 15 plus years on average. So that's fantastic. It doesn't take this long to find one, although you make a good point. It takes time. And we're talking about a long term relationship 
it takes time to to date and yeah. find that next spouse, right? right? We don't do that over a matter of a couple of days. It doesn't require that long of a dating process to identify a financial advisor at the same time. It's not something that you randomly pick out of the sky. Here's a name. I'm going to call this person and start working with them. It's not that simple either by any means. Right. Rick, one last question, then, and then we'll kind of wind it up here. But do our financial certified financial planners like yourself, are you do you have to be licensed in each state or can you work with anybody in any state or how does that work? You can work in any state. Okay. I can I can any state. I'm not limited by the boundaries of the of the US and that includes Alaska and Hawaii. Okay. That's outside the country is a different outside the country is a different story, but USA, no problemo. Okay. <laughs> I I because it's so interesting. Like coaches, we can if we're if we're certified coaches, we can work all over. Therapists have to be licensed in states. Attorneys have to be licensed yeah. by state. So I just wanted to check in with with financial planners. So uh so wonderful. So we've had, we've discussed a, a whole bunch of different topics here. What do you think, Rick, is the most important thing that people should remember when they walk away from this conversation and maybe think, hmm, I need to get a financial planner in my life? What 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 do they need to remember from this conversation? The key, not a key, but the key to financial success, whatever that might look like for you, as I mentioned before, is not investment selection. Instead, it is this one word, and that word is behavior. The actions that you take and do not take translates into your financial results. It's right under your nose. It's it's within everyone here. And this is why it makes a lot of sense to have a seasoned, experienced advisor by your side to help you identify what those behaviors are. They are able to see from the outside in what we cannot see with our blinders on. Sure. We live our life. We're not able to see what the obvious is to someone else. And as you go on and live your very busy life doing your thing, wouldn't it be nice to have someone spotlight and showcase these other areas that can help boost your balance sheets yeah. and and move yourself towards your financial goals with an additional jumbo jet engine behind them. Wouldn't that be nice? Yes, absolutely. So with that being said, if people want to find out more about what you do or get a hold of you and work with you, what's the best way to reach out? My website is a start at salmeronfinancial.com. Look for me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Rick Salmeron. Just search my name. That's the way that you can contact me online. And you can certainly send me a message. Follow me on those channels. You can continue to see my posts. Just get a better idea of, hey, is Rick someone that I want to work with? Or is Rick someone that I would like to work with while I'm also working my current advice or whatever the case may be? But I'm open to assist if I can, anyone's situation. Sounds wonderful. And all the information for Rick's contact will be in the show notes below. Uh, so make sure you take a look at that. Follow him on social media and get to know him a little bit better because he's got some great information. I'd like to thank you all for listening in on the D shift. And remember, there'll be another podcast out next week. Thanks for listening and supporting the D shift podcast. 
If you would like to attend live trainings by our amazing guests and have a chance to ask questions and get answers from our experts, join the D-Shift crew. For more details and to sign up, head on over to www.divorcecoachforwomen and click on the podcast page.